Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. We hope you enjoy the message. Today's reading comes from Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Don't you love it when you go to the post box in your front yard and you find a handwritten note addressed especially to you? If you're anything like me, most trips to the letterbox end in disappointment because very rarely do you find a handwritten letter. Most mails are the junk mail or it's an envelope with a logo on it. It might say Vodafone or Origin Energy and I tend to just throw those aside until, well, the power switches off or your phone stops working and then you frantically find the letter and you think I should have paid my bill. The worst ones for me are the Vic Rose letters. I always feel really nervous opening those. And it's about the only letter I ever open where I'm relieved to see a registration bill because at least it's not a speeding fine. And so you kind of open them up slowly and you you look at it and you're like, yes, it's a $900 registration, but at least it's not a fine. Personal letters are not like that. They have a sense of anticipation and it's always lovely to hear from friends or family the old-fashioned way. And in this time of COVID-19, it might be a really good time to send an old-fashioned handwritten note to people you love and it may just lift their spirits. As we commence our new series through the book of Ephesians, which is titled The Blessing in Blooming, it's important to understand that this book of the Bible was originally received in the form of a letter. It wasn't one of those corporate letters full of bad news. It was one of those personal letters full of good news and encouragement. Before we get into it, let me give you some of the background to this letter. Because when we read any letter, it's important to know who the letter was written by, where it was delivered to, why it was written, and who it was received by. All of that helps us with context. Well, in the case of this letter, we don't have the envelope. But thankfully, most of the details are given to us in the first two verses. First of all, we know that the author is Paul. For those who don't know who Paul was, he was formerly known as Saul. And in a previous life, he hated Christians. He was one of the greatest persecutors of Christianity. 
But one day on the road to a place called Damascus, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus and his life was turned upside down and inside out. And he went from being one of the greatest persecutors of Christianity to become one of the greatest promoters of the Christian faith. In this passage, he is called an apostle, which literally means a sent one. And verse 1 tells us that it was Jesus who sent him according to his will and plan. And so from the moment of his conversion, Paul traveled the world sharing the good news of Jesus, raising leaders and starting churches. He also wrote two thirds of the New Testament. So he's a very significant man of faith. And so Paul's the author, but where did he send this letter to? Well, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and this particular one was written to a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was originally a Greek colony, but by this stage it became the capital of the Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was a pretty big deal. It was a busy and influential port city, which was now a commercial hub of trade and culture. It was also a very religious place, and it was dominated by one religion in particular. It was known as the Cult of Artemis, which worshipped a goddess called Diana. We know just five or six years earlier, Paul had been there in Ephesus and he incited a riot by opposing that exact sect. And so it's to this same city that Paul now addresses this letter. And so who are the recipients of the letter? Well, in verse 1, he addresses it to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. This letter was written to the people of God to encourage them in a city full of idols to continue to live for Jesus despite the culture they were immersed in. We see the encouragement he gives them in verse 2. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that greeting's really important to note. We tend to just skip over greetings like that, but it's quite significant, and particularly because of the word peace there. As we said last week, the exact opposite to peace is anxiety. And so in a city with significant issues and opposition, the people of God in Paul's day could still have peace in Christ because of the unshakable promises of God that Paul is now going to unpack for them in this glorious letter. That word is still a season, a word in season for us as the people of God today. In the midst of a crisis like COVID-19, in a big city like Melbourne that is largely turned away from or even opposes God, and in a season with many reasons to be anxious, we can still have peace in the promises of God. This letter was therefore written by Paul, sent to Ephesus, addressed to God's holy and faithful people, and it was written to encourage them in their faith. Which brings us to verse 3, and verses 3 to 14 will be our main focus today. In our modern translations, verses 3 to 14 are broken into 12 separate verses, including several sentences. But in the original Greek, this is one long, continuous, almost breathless sentence. And quite possibly the most magnificent single sentence ever written. If I was to ask you to write down today the most magnificent sentence you could muster up, I wonder what would appear on your piece of paper. Mine would probably say something like this. Luke Williams lived a life of joy, fulfillment and purpose following Jesus until the very end, while his family also loved and followed the Lord as well, being used by God to encourage many others to give their lives to Christ and grow in him. P.S., God did immeasurably more than they could ever hope, dream, or imagine. They never had to endure watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy and St Kilda won at least one premiership in Luke's lifetime. Amen. 
I know what you're thinking. That is a magnificent sentence, and I agree. But no matter what we can scribble down, I don't think any of it would compare to the sentence contained in these 12 verses. Theologians over the years have tried their very best to describe in words what is contained in this sentence. Finley said, We enter this letter through a magnificent gateway. It's a golden chain of many links. Robinson said, It's a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colours. Armitage compares it to the majesty of an eagle in flight. Hendrickson said it's like a snowball tumbling down a hill, picking up speed as it goes. And Mackay compared it to an opera with beautiful and successive melodies. Whatever words you use to describe it, one thing becomes clear. For Paul, it's an eruption of praise directed to God as a way of thanking him for every spiritual blessing which has been poured out on his people. We are a blessed people, and what makes these promises so reassuring and so anxiety-defeating is that they are promises we cannot lose despite the circumstances we face in life. They are rock-solid, foundational truths that we can build our lives upon. One of the things that makes this passage so beautiful is that we see a triune God in action. You know, one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is that the God we worship is one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And to truly encounter God, we need to connect with God through all of those unique persons within the Godhead. You know, there's a real confidence in knowing the strength of God the Father. There's a beauty in experiencing the sacrificial love and example of God the Son. And then there's a real empowering in being counseled and led by God the Spirit. And all of those experiences are really important at different stages of our everyday lives. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see how these three persons within the Trinity work uniquely and perfectly together to bring eternal blessings upon God's people. In verse 3, it says, Praise be to God the Father who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. But we only experience those blessings in Christ, as the verse continues. God the Father is the source of every blessing. Every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. But we can only ever enjoy those blessings through a relationship with Him. And the only way to be in relationship with the God who created us, God the Father, is through Christ the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, the big obstacle between us and God is the obstacle of sin. But when we accept what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross, that obstacle of sin is taken and it's placed on Jesus where he paid the price for us. And when we receive and accept what he did, the obstacle is removed and we can step back into relationship with God the Father. But all of that, verse 13 tells us, is only sealed through the work of the Holy Spirit. The truth is we would never come to know Jesus the Son apart from the work of the Spirit drawing us to him. God the Spirit draws us to God the Son. God the Son brings us into relationship with God the Father. And God the Father is the source of every spiritual blessing. This is the amazing and the awesome God we serve. 
You know, this magnificent sentence in Ephesians is absolutely full of blessings we receive as the people of God through a relationship with the triune God. I want to focus on three of those blessings today. The first blessing is this, that we have been chosen. Verse 4 says, For us, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In him, verse 11, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will. You know, one of the things that causes great anxiety in life is rejection. When you're at school, you might remember those awkward moments in sport where two captains were appointed and they took it in turns to choose their team. And so all the kids would gather around and they would take their choice. The first captain would say, well, I'll take Billy. And the second captain says, well, I'll take Sarah and then Johnny and then Fred and then Jane. And as the names were called out, the longer it went, the more you dreaded it. And the more anxious you'd become on the inside, that you would be the last name chosen because no one really wanted you. It was a scary thought to think that you would be rejected in front of everyone. Well, for me, I was fortunate enough at school to be pretty good at sport. And so I never really experienced that feeling because I was always amongst the first handful chosen. But one day I got a taste of it when they used the same method in mass class. There were 12 kids in our group and two captains were appointed. The captain started calling out names and they went backwards and forth. And my name was still there in the final three. I remember feeling a feeling of humiliation and rejection because nobody wanted to choose me. Now, there was a good reason for that. I was hopeless at mass. In fact, I only ever got one mass award in my life. It was in the Westpac mass competition they used to do at our school. And one year, their competition or their exam style thing was completely multiple choice. And so I learned that day that um, I wasn't great at maths, but I was great at guessing because when the results came back to everyone's surprise, and believe me, no one was more surprised than me, I ended up in the top 10%, not just of our class, but of the entire state. For one day, I was a mass genius. And I thought to myself, I showed my classmates that they should have chosen me earlier in their dumb mass team. Well, the glory of being a mass genius was very short-lived because the day came a few weeks later for the assembly in front of the entire school and each name from every year level was called up to get their Westpac Mass Award for their placing in the state. I went up the platform and I got to the final step full of pride and as I got to the final step, I misjudged it. And I tripped over and in front of a thousand students, I fell flat on my face. I'll never forget the laughter and the face of one year seven kid in particular as I made my way down the other side of the stairs and walked in front of him. He was pointing at me and he was laughing so hard that tears were literally rolling down his face. Even my greatest mathematical achievement is a bad memory etched on my brain, which makes me very grateful for people like Raylene, our finance manager, because I'm still no good with numbers. You might remember a time like that in your own life, whether it's being chosen for a game of sport or a mass competition. What makes it the same is that you are being chosen on your ability. I'm so glad that God doesn't choose us by the same standards because if he sees me at my worst and he knows every thought I have in my head, if I was chosen on my ability to be good, well, I wouldn't just find myself chosen in the bottom three. The truth is I wouldn't be chosen at all. And before you say amen too loud, 
let me remind you that either would you. We all sin and we fall short of deserving to be chosen by a holy and perfect God. This is where the promise of Ephesians can bring such great confidence to our anxious minds. Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, if I'm being honest, I was struggling in my own personal life, even just until the end of today, to be holy and blameless in my own actions. That's why this is such a stunning truth. It's so stunning that it's hard to comprehend. Before the universe even existed, God chose us in Christ. And he's chosen us to be holy and blameless. You know what that tells me? It tells me that it's got nothing to do with our ability, our good works, our church attendance, even online, or our prayer life. God didn't choose us based on any of that. And so why do we so often strive like he does? Well, I think the reason is because it seems too good to be true. There must be a catch. And this is what I love about the gospel. It's such good news because it seems too good to be true, and yet it is. You see, nobody chose me to be on the mass team because I fell short of the standard required. Well, all of us fall short of the standard required before a holy and perfect God, and yet he chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight before the creation of the world. It has nothing to do with our ability, and it has everything to do with the underserved, extravagant love of God, which has been lavished upon us in Christ. This is what is known as the doctrine of predestination. This doctrine has caused so much controversy and division over the years, which is an absolute tragedy because it's so beautiful. And at the same time, it's such a mystery. You know, people often ask the question, well, did God choose me or did I choose him? And I think the answer is both. When we choose to follow Jesus, we do so because he first chose us before the creation of the world. And through the work of the Spirit, he drew you to himself. And so while you were chosen by God, you still needed to respond by faith to his prompting. And so salvation is a work of God, but there's an element of human responsibility. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, where's the line between those two things? Well, I don't know. But I love the fact that there's an element of mystery that our small brains will never fully comprehend this side of eternity. God cannot be contained in our nice little neat theological boxes. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And if we could fully understand him and put him in a neat little box, he wouldn't be God. We would be. And so I think we need to trust him within the mystery of divine election and human responsibility. John Stott puts it really well. He says, Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election. And we should beware of any who try to systemize it too precisely or rigidly. And so rejoice this morning in the fact that you've been chosen by God to be holy and blameless. And if you're thinking this morning, well, I'm not sure I have been chosen. I'm not sure if I have that hope that you have. I'm a little bit anxious that my name won't be called out. Well, there's one way that you can be sure today, and that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an amazing promise. One of the things that causes us anxiety in life is the fear that we won't be loved. The fear that we will lose relationships or be rejected when we make mistakes. And so how does this truth of being chosen ease our anxiety? Well, if God chose you before all creation, he will continue to keep you by his grace even on the days that you fall short. 
It's an amazing truth we've been chosen. The second life-changing truth from Ephesians chapter 1 is that we've been adopted. Verse 4 says, In love he predestined us, what for? For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and with his will. Now, a few years ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a post that said this. It said, a step-parent is so much more than just a parent. They made the choice to love when they did not have to. Now, when I first read that quote, it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. Many of you would know, but some of you joining us online wouldn't know this, but Kim, my wife, and I have four children. We've got three beautiful daughters, Adele, Taylor, and Annika, and we've got one son named Lenny. But what you may not know is that Adele, our oldest daughter, is not biologically my daughter. I met Kim when Adele was six months old and marrying a single mum was never part of my plans, but God had different plans. And so a couple of years later, after I'd fallen in love with Kim and with Adele, Kim and I were married. What I've found over the years is that it's not always easy being a step-parent. There are moments of struggle and insecurity. And when I first saw that quote, I was right in the midst of some of those feelings. And so I was really encouraged with the reminder that day that loving Adele was something I didn't have to do, but I'd willingly chosen to. And I think there's something special about that. You see, at six months, she hadn't done anything to earn my affection or love, and yet I chose to love her anyway. And the second I made that decision, I accepted Adele as my daughter, and I've never seen her as anything but that. Because she's my daughter, she gets all the same love and affection, all the same privileges, and even has got the same discipline as the other kids. She's also in our will to receive an equal share of the inheritance, which presently is a whole lot of debt, but one day there may be something there. While I never legally adopted Adele, I adopted her in my heart, and I love her with every part of my being. She's been embraced into our family, and even though she's not naturally or biologically my child, she always belongs. She's welcome, she's loved and cherished, and she always has a place as a precious member of our family, just like the three other kids. I will always love her as her dad, and I'll always be there for her no matter what. This is what adoption does. It chooses, it embraces, and it brings somebody into a loving family. Now, we live in a world where there's so much heartbreak and family breakdown, and many people can go through their entire lives never feeling like anyone really loves them, that they're not cherished by their earthly family. And maybe you're watching this today and you feel that way. Maybe you did have a family at one stage that loved you and parents, but now they've all passed away or left and you feel like you're left all alone. Well, anxiety can so often come because that deep desire in all of our hearts to belong is not being met. And maybe you think to yourself, you know, I don't really know where I belong. Well, when you accept Jesus as your Lord, one of the amazing truths is this, that you can never, ever say you're alone. Because you have a loving Father who chose you before the creation of the world to be adopted into the eternal family of God where you can experience supernatural love, unconditional love, extravagant welcome, and beautiful relationship with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why at Follow we say we want to be the most welcoming church on the planet. We want every person who journeys with us to experience the embrace and love of Christ through God's family. If you've accepted Christ's love, you've been adopted into the family of God and you will never, ever be alone. You've been chosen, you've been adopted, and finally this morning you've been promised. You know, in the last few weeks since coronavirus began, we've seen anxiety rise in people right around the world. 
The anxiety most commonly comes commonly comes from the fear of losing things in life. You know, losing loved ones or losing a job, losing your sense of identity, losing connection with people. All the things we hold dearly are, are suddenly just beyond our grasp and the end result can be a feeling of anxiety. As Christians, we're not immune to some of those struggles in life and the anxiety that can accompany it. Nowhere in Scripture are we guaranteed a life free of trouble. But one incredible promise that is guaranteed is a future that is secure. You see, COVID-19 has caused people's foundations to be shaken to the very core, causing their future to now become uncertain in many ways. But as followers of Jesus, members of God's family, we can lift our eyes above the circumstances knowing that we have a future that can never be shaken. Verse 13 says, You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, if you've ever purchased a new house, you'll know the feeling and the kind of nervous tension of finding the house you want and putting in an offer. It's a joyful moment when you get that phone call and you find out that the seller has accepted your offer. And when they do, you quickly lay down the deposit that guarantees that the house will be yours. And then the day of settlement comes, a month or two or three months later, you pay the full amount and you move into your new house. And so often we have things like housewarmings and everyone comes around and they congratulate you. They say, well done on your new house. And it's a great celebration, except for one small inconvenient detail. For most people, even at that point, it's actually not yet your house. It may say on the title it's your house, but you don't actually own it. You know, when I think of our house, we probably own the front veranda, a few doors, and maybe part of the roof, and the rest of our house is owned by the National Australian Bank. And it only remains our house if we continue to pay the repayments to them every month. If we stop the payments, we lose our house and it's no longer ours. A lot of Christians seem to live their lives the same way. They know about the promises of God, but they feel like they'll only ever receive them if they keep paying the price, if they keep making the sacrifices. And so if I keep being good, or I keep going to church, or I keep sharing my faith, or if I'm good enough, I will somehow, inher- uh, somehow earn my inheritance. Well, that may be true for every other religion in the world, but it's not the good news of Christianity. All of those things are good things to do when we're in a relationship with Jesus, but none of them will earn us an inheritance. We don't need to keep paying the price over and over again because Jesus on the cross paid it once and for all. As we read this magnificent sentence in Ephesians 1 and, and all of the promises in Scripture, we see these incredible promises given to God's people. And here's the good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 tells us, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Every promise you read in Scripture is yours through Jesus, inherited by faith the moment you trust Him, and the Holy Spirit is your down payment guaranteeing those promises. In other words, nothing can take them away. They've been given by God the Father, they've been received in God the Son, and they've been sealed through God the Spirit. It's so magnificent when I think about this passage that we've been chosen in the past, we've been adopted in the present, and we have great promises for the future. God will be with us through everything we go through in life. 
This church is where our hope comes from. It doesn't come from the external circumstances of life. It comes from the eternal and unshakable promises of God. And so if you're anxious today in this season of reasons to be anxious, step out from your anxiety and instead stand in the promises of God that never fail. If you're watching this message today and you don't have this hope that I've been talking about through a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you to respond to what God may be saying to you right now, even there in your lounge room. Because the gift of salvation and relationship with God, it costs Jesus his life, but it is offered freely to us. All you need to do is accept Jesus' sacrifice by faith and ask him into your life. And you can do that by praying a very simple prayer like the one that's going to come up on the screen. If you'd like to do that right now, you can pray along with me. Let's pray it together. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place and offering new life through forgiveness of sin and relationship with you. Help me to rest in the knowledge of who you are and all you've done for me. Today, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I give my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to represent you in the world around me. Amen. Well, if you've just prayed that prayer today for the first time and you've started your journey of faith, we'd love to be in touch with you to help you along the way. You can let us know by pressing the raise hand button in the chat this morning and one of our hosts can chat with you. Or you can email us at admin at follow.church. You know, this is the greatest decision anyone could ever make to follow Jesus. And so if you've done that today, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.